benefit for the American Friends Service Committee. For more information, visit facebook.com slash Bay Area AFSC or call our office at 415-565-0201. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. The marathon is over. We raised, oh, mountains of money. Our program director, uh, Laura Privis, has asked me to thank you all. Uh, I, <laughs> I have been missing all that time, and I, I find myself a little disoriented coming back to the station. The first thing I found was a letter... From Sybil Hartman, thank you, thank you for your kind words, Sybil. She lives in Soquel, and uh, she she knows the song, you know, about happy endings, the Bertolt Brecht song, and she says that she says that she recently went to the movies as she saw the movie about Emily Dickinson, A Quiet Passion, and while she was in the uh, stall in the bathroom she heard two ladies outside talking and uh <laughs> she heard them say well i wish that there was a happy ending there you go uh yeah well change it emily dickinson lived happily ever after happy endings nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school, actually, I learned it watching all those Hollywood movies in the thirties and forties. Uh, maybe, maybe stories uh, should be happy stories, at least for the children. Uh, anyway, thanks again, Sybil. She sent me photographs of a place in Nevada called Stone's Throw Road. I love it. <laughs> It's is going up on my wall over the uh, uh, over over my ancient typewriter. Uh, anyway, today is October the third. It's a third, as I told you. I think I told you. Anyway, once more, folks, another time. 
Oh, we are grieving over the loss of life and the effects of hundreds of wounded. Is it, what, 527? Uh, all those citizens in Las Vegas, I think the uh, body count is 59 dead. Uh, anyway, I find myself becoming a little morbid in the wee hours of the morning listening to the radio. <laughs> yes. What happens in Las Vegas is not going to stay in Las Vegas this time. Forgive me, please. No more of that. Ah, uh, I just get fed up. I moan and groan when the media men try to measure evil. Uh, think back. Didn't Timothy McVeigh kill 169 human beings, many of them children at the daycare center? He blew up that federal building in Oklahoma. Was Oklahoma? Yes, Oklahoma. I'm writing it down here so I don't forget. It was the mid-90s, I believe. Anyway, long before 9-11. Now, Timothy McVeigh was executed and Many pundits, or one I heard anyway, said, uh, this gave us closure. How about that? Anyway, Timothy McVeigh's act of domestic terrorism did seem to have a motive. Uh, he spoke of himself as a uh, radical revolutionary in the struggle against government, whatever that was all about, uh, Timothy was raised in a gun culture. His mom left home when he was very young. He went into the military. I remember reading about that. He later tried to join the Green Berets, and he washed out. Uh, oh, yes, how young men need a success experience, at least some of them. I just saw him as a young man deeply depressed by failure. Uh, he carried around with him a, a book titled The Turner Diaries. I I couldn't bear to read that on KPFA. I, I've got it on my shelf somewhere. It's a banal account of a kind of heroic martyr who died in the struggle for white supremacy. Back in the day, he thought of himself as historical. He was going to be one of the first, you know. Anyway, the book is simple-minded, and uh, it targets all the usual suspects. Hollywood actresses who sleep with black men are at the top of his list. Also, the Northern California territories are particularly disgusting, according to Timothy McVeigh. Mm. At that time, I couldn't help remembering a story told by Gertrude Stein. It just seemed to fit Timothy McVeigh's story. Uh, uh, Gertrude Stein said that critics always misunderstood what she meant when she uh, talked about a lost generation. The term came to indicate you know, the sort of decadence and uh, decay associated with uh, alcohol and jazz and disillusion. Uh, uh, World War One. you remember, yes, materialism was the worst, uh, the worst thing in the minds of the bohemians of her day. Actually, uh, Gertrude Stein says that 
she got the phrase from uh, a Frenchman, I believe. I believe it was a farmer or a grocer, anyway. Uh, a local when she was hiding out in France during the Second World War. Anyway, she says that this older man believed that the uh, younger generation in his time, the young men, uh, they were lost because they had gone into the army, the military, at an early age. They had not developed the humanity they would certainly have acquired if their formative years had been spent with women, that is, families, families, let's call it, to guide them. Uh, let's see, Timothy McVeigh was very young, I think, uh, when his mom left and there were no more women in his life. His father and his grandfather and the gun culture were his touchstones. Uh, <clears throat> and this uh, Frenchman, this farmer, told Gertrude Stein that uh, when they returned after the war, there was something missing, something that had not developed. Said Hannah Arendt says that evil is uh, always, always uh, characterized by banal mindsets. Uh, there's just something missing. Uh, they have not been, I don't think the word is educated, let's see. They haven't been, ah, uh, oh dear, uh, they haven't been taught uh, what it means to be a human being. Uh, I was talking to a young doctor yesterday, he's 37 years old, and I mentioned to him that it's exactly 37 years ago that Ronald Reagan came to power, that is, the Republicans, uh, I I told him all about Rosalind Carter. Yes, for some reason, I uh, I had just reviewed Rosalind Carter's book, <clears throat> uh, First Lady from Plains, for the, the San Francisco Chronicle. And uh, apparently, uh, the president's wife had said uh, at the time uh, that President Carter should do whatever was uh, necessary to get the hostages home. He told her he had to do what was best for the country. Uh, <laughs> she told him that what was best for the country was his re-election in 1980, she said. She had to yell at him while he was in the shower in the bathroom anyway. Couldn't get away from her. Carter was trying to do the right thing thing about those hostages, you know. Rosalind said, oh, we'll bomb Tehran, just do whatever, do whatever has to be done. Uh, we all know the games that Reagan played, uh, bringing the hostages home. Anyway, as we know, Jimmy Carter was, is a good man, and especially a good man. He has a Christian consciousness, if you believe, as I do, that many, many Christians are absolutely genuine, honest. Uh, what would Jesus do, huh? Anyway, 
Somebody actually said that a good man cannot be a great man. I guess that depends on how we define great. Uh, if you listened to the show before this, you heard about uh, Einstein. <laughs> Not a saint, Einstein, certainly, but uh, obviously a great man uh, and certainly fully conscious about politics and humanity. Uh, he is Einstein's great remark, the one that I put on my wall, is uh, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I think I think that the Republican coup of 1980 has to be the date for the beginning of our present malaise. Yes. Rewind, Jennifer. Go back. No, no. First, before I go back to the young doctor and what he thought, I want to read you a couple lines here. There's a lot of anti-Trump poetry floating around, and I've read some of it anyway. Uh, here's one I like. It's the opening stanza of Frederick Seidel's poem uh, called Now. It's in a collection called Resistance, Rebellion, Life. I don't know whether that's a collection of his poems or uh, an anthology. Frederick Seidel, S-E-I-D-E-L, right. The poem is called Now. And the first stanza goes, You could say we've been living in clover From Walt Disman to Barack Obama now A dictatorship of vicious, spineless slimes We, the people voted in, has taken over Once we demolished slavery Once we'd Abolished slavery, yes. We lived in clover from sea to shining sea, even in terrible times. It's over. God, I hope not. Let's see, that's the end of the stanza. Uh, let us hope that the democratic dream is not over. Uh, and as we know, Jimmy Carter is a good man. Uh, his Christian consciousness uh, told him that he mustn't do the first wrong thing. Uh, I, anyway, I think, rewind, Jenny, rewind. Uh, this young doctor I was talking to, he told me that, well, he thought that art was the thing that could save us, you know, change our mean-spirited culture. <laughs> I said, isn't that what I've been telling you for, for 37 years? Uh, 37 years ago, and that was the year the young doctor was born. Uh, oh, if Timothy McVeigh had been part of a little theater group, well, think what could have happened. Yes, yeah, civilization is not a frill. Has to be created. Uh, indeed, aesthetics is the mother of ethics. Art enlightens. 
art, if it is art, yes, it's always morally stunning when you think about it. I remember reading all the plays, uh, collections in the library, uh, best plays. I read them all, you know, since they began. The entire 20th century of plays in which uh, even when there was an unhappy ending, plays were mostly about uh, insight, understanding, uh, coming to the party. Berthold Brecht said that art is a weapon, a hammer, if need be. Uh, I don't know, that's maybe harsh, but it's sort of true. The philosopher George Santayana said that morality uh, is the desire to lessen suffering. That's the best measure I know. For every act, you say to yourself, will this cause less suffering or more. Uh, politicians have to decide whether or not to <laughs> do something that is somewhat immoral. Today, you know, in order to avoid doing something hideously immoral tomorrow, I believe that was Kissinger's approach. Uh, now, I am an out-and-out pacifist. I, I guess I'm still naive. I think that the notion of preventive action... You know, something that may cause suffering uh, in the short run is always just an excuse. You know, uh, peace is war, that kind of thing. An example, of course, is incarceration. That notion that punishment can produce anything positive. Now, that is simply absurd, we see uh, at first glance. Uh, now, that violence in Las Vegas seems to mean something a little different, certainly not what Timothy McVeigh had in mind. Uh, no cause involved. Anyway, none that I understand, at any rate. Uh, domestic terrorism, maybe. I think simple madness. Uh, a man who's gone berserk. Now, we, we know almost nothing about the human psyche. A lot of men make a lot of money pretending they do. Uh, this time, the killer was a 64-year-old rich white man. I will repeat, this killer was a 64-year-old rich white man. Whatever the poison was buried deep in his psyche, no way of knowing that. I asked the young doctor if he thought that research could help, could find ways to remedy violent behavior, violent uh, thoughts even. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, these studies by the neurobiologists, are they going anywhere? question seems to be whether our species wants to change. Do we have the desire to lessen suffering. Can we evolve? If that's the word. Today I see a culture of compassion. It grows every day. Uh, we have, we have the people who are open-hearted. Uh, 
There are women and men who are willing to do whatever is necessary to cultivate the human capacity for love and wisdom. I think art and nature are sacred to many of us. Uh, holy. Check out an article in the New Yorker for 18 September uh, 2017. 18 September, right. It's all about how we were happier once. Uh, hunter-gatherers may very well have been happier than we are today. Uh, maybe not better. Uh, what is it in terms of health and welfare? Uh, the article is by John Lancast- Lancaster. Uh, it's called How Civilization Started. <laughs> and was it even a good idea? Technology cuts so many ways. Most of us wouldn't be alive without technology. Uh, he mentions his his glasses. I wouldn't mention soap. Uh, no, he mentioned soap as well, yes. He says fire was the first miracle. He writes, fire is the difference between eating lunch or being lunch. Uh, what interests me most of all is the author's notion that writing, that is, literacy is a mixed blessing. He mentions many, many books. Uh, I would add a fascinating tome I'm trying to finish. It's called The Alphabet and the Goddess by the late Leonard Schlein, S-H-L-A-I-N. I think he lives over in Marin, right? His Well, he did. His daughter is still there, I think. I think his work is of great interest to those of us who want to know what we're all about, what's going on in our minds. He wrote another book about Leonardo da Vinci's brain. Uh, I like his insights into the feminine. Uh, You know, it's that right brain, left brain stuff. You remember, Leonardo da Vinci was both left-handed and right-handed. All those cliches about the way our brains work, uh, you know, linear, masculine, circular, feminine, da-da-da. I want to discover just how it is that we can learn emotional truth, uh, how we can put into practice what we think of as wisdom, our belief systems, are created so early in life, my young doctor says, he thinks it's all about what happens in childhood. (laughs) He says that this man who went berserk in Las Vegas, uh, well, the way he put it, he said the man had a temper tantrum. I wonder if that is exactly the word. I had temper tantrums weekly all through my childhood. Uh, I guess that's it. I got it expressed. I did, I did. Uh, I think that a psychopathic explosion may be a little more than a tantrum, but of course, uh, the young doctor is right, and Virginia Woolf herself tells us fascism begins in the home, in the crib, that the British family is a template for fascism. Her father was a tyrannical Victorian. Uh, Same old, same old uh, family structure. Uh, some some of it remains, you know. 
But there is so much, much more to unpack. We know that many children survive terrible abuse. And so many indulged and loved children are mean-spirited. They belong to the culture of cruelty. I guess the puzzle is somewhere in our cerebral cortex. That's what we need to study. The old brain stem, I think we we understand up to a point. Uh, so far, all the drugs are just as destructive as they are helpful. You will remember the the hormone therapy that was supposed to fix homosexuality. Yes, side effects. Yes, they're like collateral damage. I myself was recently poisoned by a drug called Lyrica. Not by the young doctor that I've been speaking of. In any case, it is time for the brain boys to get to work. God, I'm so grateful to all those, especially the young, those who have decided to devote themselves to making changes, whether they're doctors without borders or any other NGO outside government seems to be the places where people are uh, working to decrease suffering, get us to the better, wiser place. I think the grim truth is we may have to see a hell of a lot more mayhem, more feedback before the real change comes because the damage caused during recent decades has only just begun to surface, only just begun to be recognized. The dark birds of history, they're hovering over us, they are. Ravens come home to roost. Uh, it might help if the poets got on the evening news. <laughs> is it, is it over? As the poem says, yes, the sadistic slime, the horrible regime that we now have. Uh, do do you believe that it's all over? I sometimes feel that the 60s was our last open-hearted, joyous time. I guess, well, I looked around today and I found joyous spirits. There are always those capable of ecstasy and art, even in blood-stained places and horrible times. But it was, for me, the 60s, uh, for a romantic revolution, uh, for a, a moment when it became popular, fashionable, a time when it was catching, when masses of men could make love, not war. After the coming of the uh, Reagan Revolution, 1980, all my own poems seem to go dark, seem to mourn our loss, loss of hope. Yes, where did all the flowers go? Uh, I had hoped to have time to read a couple of my more, <laughs> more grisly poems from that time, yes. Yes. 
I'll have to save them for next week. I have one here called Many Thousands Gone. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. We were never innocent. Not in my lifetime. All of our illusions shot to hell. No big brother exactly. Just the tin cup, the TV, technocide, and empty, empty eyes. I'll save this one for next time and try to include the beats, if you think of them as a positive change. Uh, I'll be back on the air the same time next week. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light, light em up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadows out of I'm Eileen Alfandari from the KPFA Newsroom with a big thank you to those of you who pledged generously and help us surpass our fall fund drive goal and end it a day and a half ahead of schedule. We're working hard to make the fund drives shorter so we can focus our efforts on bringing you cutting-edge news, public affairs, music, and more. If you miss the opportunity to pledge, you can still do it online at kpfa.org. Our thank you gifts will be available for a few more days. Thank you for helping to underwrite the cost of independence at KPFA. Are you wanting support to resolve conflicts in your life? Do you wish you were better at creating a peaceful and just world? On Talk It Out Radio Sundays from 7 to 8 p.m., we offer the skills of self-compassion, if 